0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum. We taught the first chapter in our first lesson, and I'll probably uh, be able to cover both these chapters tonight. There's not uh, that much that we need to stop and comment on. A lot of it, just we can read the verses. And yet, there's a great deal here too that we need to discuss. But let me just give you a division of it uh, as we approach chapter 2. Chapter two of the book of Nahum, and uh, chapter two, the first ten verses have to do the capture of Nineveh, announced and described. It's announced and described. Verses one through ten, and verses eleven through thirteen, we see the completeness of the judgment upon Nineveh. Verses ten, uh, I said ten, I meant eleven through thirteen. I didn't say that right, did I? Verse eleven through thirteen. So 1 through 10 is uh, the capture of Nineveh. It's announced and described. And then the completeness of the judgment is verses 11 through 13. And then chapter 3, let's get that division while we're that, uh, doing that. Verses 1 through 7 of the third chapter, we see the great wickedness of Nineveh. How wicked a city it was. And then verses 8 through 13, we see her fate is to be like the fate of No Ammon, and we'll explain that when we get to her fate to be like the fate of No Ammon. In fact, if you see in verse uh, eight, it says, "No, art thou better than the than populous No?" And No is the name of No Ammon. In other words, it's a city, a place. And then we find the third division in uh, this third chapter is verses fourteen through nineteen, and it says her well-deserved and complete judgment. Now, it's an amazing thing when we begin with chapter 2 to talk about the capture of Nineveh is announced and described that this is that one great city that Jonah preached to and they repented and turned to God and God spared them. And yet, uh, this great prophecy of Naaman about their destruction was fulfilled some 90 years after Nahum had spoken. 90 years later, they were uh, destroyed, captured, destroyed. And it's described here in these first verses. Let's begin with verse 1, if you will. It says, uh, He that dasheth in pieces, He is God. He that dasheth in pieces has come up before thy face. Keep the munition, watch the way, make the loincy. Thy loins strong. Fortify thy power mightily. Now they just as well prepare themselves. For look at this. For the Lord hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. As we look at those two verses, we find first of all that God Himself has said that He's going to bring judgment. And uh, Nineveh, the capture. Is announced and is going to be described as we progress along. Verse two explains that it is it was the Lord who had chastened backslidden Israel and Judah. Notice in verse two it speaks of the excellency of Jacob and and the excellency of Israel that God had chastened and God had chastened them through the wicked city, or through this wicked kingdom. You might say the Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire. And so they were chastened. Isn't it an amazing thing as we study the Scriptures how that we find not only does God give opportunity for a wicked city to repent, and they did, and He spares them, but He also uses uh, wicked nations to chasten His own loving people and the ones He claims. And this should teach us that nations come and go and they change in their ways of doing. And they change in their uh, ethics and in their morals and in their uh, beliefs. You know, we have that existing today. Look at the nations in Europe that were once just for us wholeheartedly and now (laughs) it's divided up. And we have uh, all the voices of dissent and things that are going on. And whether it's good or bad, I don't know. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but I'm just going to... tell you how that they changed and they switched from from one way to another through the years. Some of the wicked nations became allies of Israel in the book of the Kings. And we find that uh, there's nothing to depend upon but God. No one. And so when we think we've got a nation that's going to stand behind us and take care of us and we're going to be allies from now on, that may or may not be true. And here you have God using wicked nations to chasten uh, Judah, uh, Jacob or Jacob and Israel. And he says, for the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. Verse 3 says, the shield of his mighty men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots uh, shall be with flaming torches in the day of of his preparation, and the fir trees shall be terribly shaken. Nineveh is described here in battle array, how they're prepared for the battle. In verse 4, the chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broad ways. It's like their parade or their last uh, uh, display of their arms. You know, a lot of times you'll see in these big cities and countries where they uh, they may be facing war. They'll get all their armies out there and march down the streets. And they'll put on a display of their power. Well, that's what Assyria was doing. Notice, in verse 3 again, let's read it. The shield of His mighty men is made red. The valiant men are... are... In scarlet, the chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the fir trees shall be terribly shaken. The chariots shall rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another. In the broad ways, they shall seem uh, like torches. They shall run like uh, the lightnings. A great display in their minute drills. Their drills. And in verse 5, the king of Nineveh is spoken of. It says, He shall recount His worthies. He gets all of His faithful captains and leaders round about. He shall recount His worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof. And the defense shall be prepared. He's depending upon them. The king wants to display all of His mighty men. And look at verse 6. The gates of the river shall be open, and the palace shall be dissolved. It shows that the besiegers that come in against Nineveh shall come through the uh, floodgates. And of course, the rivers would be opened and flood. In fact, it's said in history that's the way that it was taken, as they entered in through the floodgates. Many cities were protected by floodgates and uh, bridges that you would draw up and various uh, means of protection for their city and their walls. In verse 7, And Hazab shall be led away captive, she shall be brought up, and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves tabering upon their breasts. And the, the thought here is to be the thought of this Haz, Hazab would be the queen of Nineveh. And she shall be captured and led out by the enemy as a trophy of, of the spoil of war, dethroned and dishonored, She shall be led away captive. And she shall be brought up. And her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves tapering upon their breast. Then you find in uh, verse 8, But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Nineveh is of old like a pool of water. This is where people had come for... Maybe about 600 years gathering together as a place from ancient times, of old, from ancient times. They had been a a place of attraction for all the people that would come and visit and enjoy the luxuries. But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. They were told to stand, stand their grounds. But they wouldn't look back because the spoilers would come in and take over in the and the besiegers look at verse 9 it says take ye the spoil of silver take ye, take the spoil of gold for there's none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture this is this describes the cry of the heathen spoilers that will come in and spoil the city and take everything silver and gold and and their pleasant furniture, everything that they possess. You know, when the day of God's judgment comes upon any nation or people, well, material things become very valueless. They, they do not amount to, to very much. And there's a time in our lives, we, we just as well face it, that we will leave all of our earthly possessions behind regardless of what they are. God has given them to us today and now as a blessing to use. To use and to use for our own needs and for the needs of others. But if you write any more into it than that, you're building upon the sand. Because all of it will pass away in due time. And We preached yesterday. Was it yesterday? The funeral? I guess I lose track of time. But on uh, the fact that when our earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, this tent that we live in, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands. It's a building eternal in the heavens. And there's a time that we'll all be looking forward to something more stable and more uh, uh, dependable than we have here upon this earth. Because we know everything of this earth is temporal. But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water. They shall flee away. That's verse 8. Stand, stand, shall they cry. But none shall look back. They'll flee. Take take ye the spoil of silver. Take ye the spoil of gold. For there is none end of the store and the glory of all the pleasant furniture. And this describes the cry of these heathen spoilers that will come in to spoil the city. Look at verse 10. She is empty and void. The deserted city is of rubble. Look at it. She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. A dark day when destruction comes as complete as this. What we need to be reminded of all along before we approach the last section of this chapter, the complete, completeness of the judgment of Nineveh, what we need to be reminded of, and let me just stop pause and say this, is that this city was once preached to by Jonah and it repented and turned to God. It repented of its wickedness. And then some 90 years later, or 100 years later, not really 90 years after Naaman, but there was a period of, from the time that Jonah preached of maybe over 100, 110 or 15 years, But over that period of time, they had turned back into all their wickedness. It wasn't really that sincere. It just goes to show you that repentance has to be genuine. And it has to be deep-rooted in a nation or in a people. I wonder if our people will repent. We're we're in a place now that our nation needs to repent as a whole. We have gotten so wicked and so ungodly and so morally corrupt that it's time for repentance. There was a time that there was repentance in this old nation. And the time that people turned to God and lived for God. But we're living in a different day now. And the majority is taking over in in the morals that are just uh, unbelievable for this nation to fall into. And the ethics and the way we do things. Corruption. You say, preacher, that's a sad note. Well, it's a true note. And we just well face it that if God keeps on sparing us as a nation, there better something happen that people turn back to the Lord or He will not always do it. Because He spared that wicked city of Nineveh for all this time. And 90 years after Nahum spoke these words, this destruction that He's talking about came upon them. That shows you that God is long-suffering too. That's a long time to give space for people to repent, isn't it? It tells us in the... Uh, the book of First and 2 Peter that God was long-suffering in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. It says wherein the few, that is eight souls, were saved. Noah and his family. But God preached to that wicked uh, generation through Noah for 120 years. And He said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. But now we find that here, the, the completeness. Look at the last section here, verses 11 through 14, and we'll find the completeness of this judgment. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where, where the lion, even the old lion, walketh and the lion's whelp and none made them afraid? The place of their dwelling could not be found. The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps and strangled uh, for his lioness and Filled his holes with prey and his dens with raven. The nature and character of these beings, of the lions among them. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke. Here's the final judgment. It's decreed. And the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messenger shall no more be heard. In other words, there's going to be complete destruction. Now, when we look at the third chapter, and I wanted to give you all of these if I have time in this book of Naaman. uh I have enough that I could preach on it for a week, but let's just try to condense it. But let's look at chapter 3. And we see the great wickedness of Nineveh because these things can be touched upon even though you see the detail as we read it. It says, uh, Woe to the bloody city! A city of blood drops. It is all full of lies and robbery, and the prey departeth not. They always had someone to prey upon. Full of lies, full of robbery. They had plenty of prey. The prey departeth not. And it was a bloody city. The noise of the whip, and the noise of the rattling of, of the wheels, and the prancing of horses, and the jump, jumping of chariots, you know, they boasted of making the blood of their enemies to run like a river. And yet, it was going to be their own destruction. Their wickedness was descri- is described here. Verse 3 says, The horse, horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there, there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses. And there is none... In of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. The sound of these horsemen in battle. In verse 2 says the noise of the whip. And then it speaks of the horsemen in verse 3. It shows how they shall come in battle. In verse 4 notice what it says. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms, and families through her witchcrafts. Behold, I am against thee. Let's stop before we get to the fifth verse. You see the wickedness is described. Again, she had acted as a harlot. And now she's going to receive that same punishment. The punishment of a harlot. When God says in verse 5, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. She's, she is going to reap exactly what she had sown. And you know the law of harvest for men and for nations is all the same in the Bible. And Paul reminds us of it in the book of Galatians. He says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And people wonder why that, uh, or why it is that, when we live our lives and we sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind, why it happens that way. We better be careful how we live. Life is serious business, and especially the Christian life is a serious business. And it said in the Old Testament, "Keep thy heart with all diligence." For out of it are the issues of life. All the flows, the waters, and the, the wells of life spring from the heart. So life is a heart matter, isn't it? Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It's a heart matter as far as salvation is concerned. It's a heart matter as far as life in general is concerned. Thank God for good hearts. I love these good hearts that we have before us tonight. And I pray that we will keep them as we ought to. But there are many wicked ones in the world. And God is describing in this passage of Scripture here concerning Nineveh, how wickedly they had turned. Look at that again. Verse 4, Behold, the, the, uh, "...because of the multitude of, thy, of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts..." Witchcrafts and idolatry, uh, harlotry, and you know, all of this can be applied not only literally, but to a spiritual aspect of the nation. They had, they, they were, they had gone away from God and they were untrue to God. They were like an adulterous wife that had left her good husband. They were like, uh, those that were engaged in witchcraft. We've got that all over our nation today. Literally. The mediums and all of the uh, wizards and a lot of our things promoted. You remember the Harry Potter stuff. And kids are getting hooked on that. No harm in it. It's like a fairy tale, but it's wickedness from the very core. Its origin is wickedness. And when anyone says anything about it, they say, well, it's just entertainment for the children. But it gets them to thinking that way. And you know that's the way seed is sown into your hearts and minds. By what you see and by what you hear. And that's why some of, some of our men, get, uh, young men especially, and, and older ones, get hooked on pornography. And they get hooked on wickedness. Because it's before their eyes. You see more in a television commercial nowadays than they used to see in a burlesque show. And it's, it's terrible that our nation is coming to these things. But it's sown in people's minds. And that's the reason they had this. The witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms. Look at verse 4. And families through her witchcrafts. Not only nations, but Families. Now, look at verse 5. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts. I'm going to find you out upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. You know, things that were a shame in the old days are not even a shame anymore. I don't know how you can make any uh, person uh, blush anymore. There's no such thing. I haven't seen it in ages. I mean, it's all acceptable. It's all, you know, we're so uh, engulfed in it, in our nation, that people think nothing about it. They just cast it off. And maybe if you don't like it, you just think a little of it, but it doesn't bring a blush to a lady's face anymore because she hears it all the time. And so it's, it's something that God says here Thy shame, and the kingdom's thy shame. In verse 6, I will cast abominable filth. Upon thee, and make thee vile, and will set thee as a gazing stock. He says, "You're going to reap exactly what you have sown." In verse seven, and it shall come to pass that all that look upon thee shall flee from thee, and say, "Nineveh is laid but waste." Now look, who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? There's no one's going to care. You couldn't even find comforters. You couldn't find anyone that would bemoan her. When this happens, Nahum is predicting that no one will even cry about it. we Will realize she has coming what she deserves. Could have been better if, you know, the Lord did spare in the days of Jonah. But Jonah was really disturbed about it because he said, you know, he went down and he sat under a vine... The gourd vine that God raised up, and He said, "It's better for me to die than to live." God didn't destroy this wicked city like He said He was going to do. Yet, forty days and none of us shall be destroyed was His message, and He was disappointed that they all repented and turned to God. But you can see how it, you can see how it happened, can't you? Uh, and maybe maybe Jonah had a little bit of justification in his feelings because later on they turned right back to their wickedness even worse. And Nahum has to predict their downfall and sure enough, finally, it does happen, doesn't it? God gave them a second chance, didn't He? And they didn't take it. They took it for a while. I wonder how many second chances we have, as individuals have seen and I wonder how many second chances, if you want to look at it as a nation, our nation has seen. We've had plenty of opportunities. And I hope his brother... Uh, Nichols praised many times that God would turn it around. And I, I wish He would turn it around. But He's only going to do that through you and I. And through people who really care. And who will stand for the truth and stand for God's Word. And someone has said in time past that the, only, that the way, easiest way for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And so we have to put our hand to the plow. And Jesus said, if we put our hand to the plow and look back, He said, no man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He doesn't mean by that that we're saved by works. He means that we ought to have true repentance and dedication in our service for God. Alright, let's go and look at this. In verse 7 again, And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee, and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for thee? They'll flee away. They won't stand by her when God brings such destruction. Now, in verse 8, we find beginning with verse 8 through 13 is that her fate is to be like the fate of no Ammon. And if you'll notice, verse 8 speaks of no. Art thou better than populous no? Ino means no Ammon. If you have a uh, marginal reference, it will say Ammon. That was situated, it shows that it's a city, that was situated among the rivers that had the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea and, who, and her wall was from the sea. in verse uh, 9, it says, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength. It, it, and it was infinite. Well, they thought it was, but it really wasn't. Put and love him, were thy helpers. So their strength and their helpers. Though she was defended by the strong men of Ethiopia and of Egypt and Put and Lebanon, nothing could avert her doom. It was sure to come in spite of all the helpers. All those that were allied with her and all those that would help her at this particular time. In verse 10, Yet she shall be carried away. Yet was she carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men. And all her great men were bound in chains. You see how her fate came upon her, her destruction. Verse 11 says, Thou also shalt be drunken. Thou shalt be hid. Thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. In other words, they would reel to and fro like a drunken man in this destruction that was to come. In verse 12 it says, And all thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. The ripe figs would fall down when the wind shakes them. The strongholds. Or when people shake them. I remember out on the farm we used to have a." You know, at the harvest of pecan time, when you harvested pecans, you'd go out and you, we used to call it frailing them. We'd take a long pole, a long uh, limber limb, and hit those pecans up in the tree and get them to come down, fall on the ground if they was about ready to fall. And boy, you could hear them. They'd just sound like hail hitting the ground. And then we'd get... I used to climb up in the fork of the tree about, all oh, ten feet high and amidst the branches where you could reach the branches that go out. And you'd take a sledgehammer and you'd hit that and you'd just hear wham! They'd just hit the ground. And every limb you'd hit, you'd hear the pecans falling. Well, that's the way it says, uh, Thy stronghold shall be like the fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall to the mouth of the eater. They'd fall down. Verse 13. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Now, beginning with verse 14 through 19, I want you to notice something. Her well-deserved and complete judgment is seen in these last verses. 14 through 19. Draw thee waters for the siege. They were going to be sieged. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Remember that Joel, when we studied Joel, we had the canker worm and the locust and the palmer worm and all the, the four stages of the locust. The caterpillar, the cankerworm, and here the locust is mentioned. It says, There shall fire devour thee, the sword shall cut thee off, and it shall eat thee up like the cankerworm. Make thyself many as the cankerworm. Make thyself many as the locust. Remember the plagues of locusts we talked about in the book of Joel that would come in as a destroying army? Many have known uh, plagues of locusts to drive out into the sea for miles and miles upon one another because they were so thick and so many. There have been recordings of locust plagues of that nature and of that uh, multiplication and number. Now look in verse uh, 16. "Thou Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven the cankerworm spoileth and fleeth away. Thy crown are as the locusts, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Talk about a deserved and complete judgment! It says that the place is not known where they are. Verse eighteen says the shepherds slumber. O king of Assyria. The shepherds are the ones that are be the leaders and guides and cares. The shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. They will not even exist. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains and no man gathereth them. The shepherds are to gather the people together. You know, the work of a shepherd today is a shepherd of the flock is to gather the people together the work of shepherds throughout the years in the old testament was to tend their flock whatever it was we have a charge in the new testament of those that are shepherds of god's sheep to to feed the flock of god as peter says first peter chapter 5 i believe it is says the elders which are among you called upon to feed the flock of god and not by constraint not for filthy lucre But as in samples to the flock. But here it says, Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains. And they were scattered in the destruction. Well deserved complete judgment. And no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise. You know, when you get any kind of a bruise, you hope for healing. I don't care if it's just a small bruise or a large one. I cut the end of my finger on the fan the other day before Ron got over there. And lo and behold, he did the same thing. He didn't cut his. He got his hand back. But he spun it around to see if it turned. I did too. And it nipped the end of my finger. And it was a mess for a day or two. I had it covered up. In fact, today it's still in bad shape. But it's finally healing up. But here it says... Uh, There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap their hands over thee. In fact, it would be that people would rejoice over their fall and over their uh, pain and their suffering. It's a sad day when someone else will rejoice over the suffering of another. But that would be the way that this would be. And they wouldn't care about them. It says, For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? Why? Because their wickedness has passed on so many people and so continually that there wouldn't be a tear shed for them and for their desolation and their complete judgment. You know, if we summed up what we find in this book of Nahum concerning Nineveh, it should be a lesson to us individually and a lesson to us as uh, you know, if you had a large city like the city of Dallas or Chicago or New York or some city that's turned completely in... Uh, just a wicked city. Well, I can think of one on the West Coast. San Francisco. Brother. And you know, it's, you talk about the earthquakes that's going to come one day, it probably bury the whole thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but when you think of a city being forewarned about its wickedness and then it turns around and repents... And then gets right back into the same sins, and even worse, that invites God's judgment. That's what we're facing. And these are the realities and the practicalities of what we're preaching and teaching tonight from this prophet, Nahum. And let us take it to heart. We're not so good ourselves, are we? And we need to have repentance on an individual basis, and we need to have repentance on a nationwide basis. If you were talking about a city, a great city, and a preacher came in or a prophet came in and brought them a message of, of salvation and, and if, uh, or of impending judgment and they fail to turn, and then it comes, and it will in due time. Someone says 90 years after Nahum preached, this very thing took place. But think of it for a moment. They had plenty of time. And what do people do when they have plenty of time? They put off till tomorrow what should be done today. And it's the same thing in spiritual things where men, people are procrastinators. They'll say, God will never bring it, it'll never happen. And the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes listen carefully to this statement. It says, Because sentence or judgment, sentence against an evil work, is not executed speedily. Like in Nahum's day, the next. Uh, weak, you know, is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men, one heart, all the sons. The heart is spoken of there singular. The sons of men, plural. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And that's because they put it off and think that because God doesn't judge immediately that He will never do it. But the Bible teaches us and has taught us through the in many passages of Scripture that God is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all to, would come to repentance. And we need to take the lessons of God's Word. As I said this morning, talking about the infallibility and what we should look to. It is written. And God's Word is written to guide us, to cause us to think right, to do right, to act right, to live right, and to be prepared to die. Uh, with the Lord. So, I thank you for your patience kind attention. We'll take up with our next book there, uh, the book of, uh, of uh, Habakkuk, in our next, next lesson. And so, try to be here for that. This Wednesday evening we'll start that. And we'll go right on through the Minor Prophets.